Hello, and welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. It's uh, the podcast series, the Into the Fire podcast series, and Alex Toby, um, who uh, directed the Greeks for us. Um, three years ago now, uh, I believe, over at uh, Contemporary yeah. Art Museum. Um, and Alex, you also wrote uh, one of the three um, adaptations of Sophocles' uh, Oedipus trilogy. Um, you wrote Oedipus at Colonus, is that correct? I, so Ian and I worked on Colonus together. You but did. yeah, but he, he did all the chorus speeches and I kind of, I did the first kind of rough draft of it. And then Ian went through and added the chorus speeches and kind of add a lot of like the through lines from the stuff that he had been writing on Oedipus and Antigone um, and also just made it better. He is a playwright and I am not. Um, so just kind of those little mechanics of turning a rough draft into a real producible play. Yeah. He's very, he's very good at that. Uh, he's, uh, he's quite a, a craftsman um, where playwriting is concerned. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience, um, Alex. Um, it was very quick and, <clears throat> you know, um, when you just sort of start running 100 miles an hour, you don't <laughs> always get to look at the scenery. But uh, what was it like uh, um, for you? Is that, was that your first experience with Sophocles uh, as, as a director? It was, yeah, which was super cool. I mean, obviously, I had, like, read all of the plays, both just on my own and in class, like in school. I think I read Oedipus in both high school and college, obviously, yeah. just because they're super foundational plays and plays that teach us about structure and Greek theater and um, everything that's come since then. So I had read them and had been familiar and had like seen a couple like versions, but had never actually worked on them. Right. Right. And um, when, uh, when, when we approached you about that, um, did you immediately start th thinking about because it was modernized you know the our telling of it was uh, much you know was re really more or less said in the present day and um i guess my question is did, is that something that immediately came into your mind uh, or is it the way you'd always thought of the plays or how did how did that happen well i mean backing up a minute like so this, I know you and I know, like we went through like a million different iterations and a million different versions. Yeah. Um, like we were playing around before we even knew that it was going to be three plays in one night. We were talking through versions of, is it the three plays in rep? Is it the three, is it three different adaptations by three different writers? Yeah. Is it like three different plays, even with the same writer, but like massively different concepts. So we get like the Western adaptation. Yeah, we get like the Western Oedipus and then we get the sci-fi Colonus and then we get the post-apocalyptic Antigone or whatever. Um, so it had been kind of in those early brainstorming sessions was just playing around in my head with what it could be, what it should be. Um, but I think what's great and exciting for me as a director who especially works mostly like in new plays and contemporary plays, the one thing that is exciting about these classic dramas is that because we've done them We've done them so many times. We've seen them so many times before that the audience, our audience and our viewers kind of know the plays already. Especially when you're adapting something, you kind of have the freedom to turn it into, not turn it into whatever you want it to be, but kind of like sh impose a point of view on it and kind of shift that narrative to be what 
um, is most interesting to you and what you think is most relevant at the time. Um, so we, when we ended up uh, realizing that we wanted to do all three of them kind of in one evening, like as a three act play, um, the contemporary lens was something that, yeah, I guess just seemed, seemed the most relevant. It seemed the most topical. Um, a lot of the themes that Ian and I were exploring in terms of um, doing what is right, even when it's not easy, um, or standing up to the man, or you know, like the people rebelling against a government that they thought was unfair, or the government continuing to do what, it, like Oedipus doing what he's continue, what he's destined to do and what he must do, even though that's difficult. Um, so many of those kind of modern and contemporary parallels seem so rooted in our 2017 um, reality. So imposing it in a contemporary setting just seemed the most accessible for us. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we did it, um, for those listening who may not be aware of this, we did it not at Burning Cold, so not in a theater space, um, but, uh, or at least not in a traditional theater space, but over at the Contemporary Art Museum uh, over near the, the Warehouse District in downtown Raleigh. Um, did that come into play for you in terms of creating um, the, the plays uh, or would you, would we have seen essentially the same production uh, regard? Cause you and I talked at one point about doing them outdoors, uh, doing them out in Dorothea Dix Park. Uh, would it have been the same production if it had been there or, or, uh, or did the cam uh, environment inform the production at all? Do you think? I think it would have been similar, but different in a lot of ways. I mean, the one thing that Cam really gave that like an outdoor park space didn't was that kind of the audience descending deeper and deeper and deeper into the museum as, because as you know, we started, we started in the lobby and then we moved into the main gallery space. And then we went down the stairs a little bit um, for Colonus to, I forget the real name, but it was this kind of like side like um, street level uh, yeah like and, yeah <laughs> slight, slightly smaller um slightly smaller and a little bit deeper down and then we you know went down the stairs even further to an almost completely like underground gallery the smallest space yet the most deepest underground um so that sense of going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper um kind of into the chaos and the madness as this political this political dynasty and these families get deeper and deeper um, past the point of no return was definitely an element that Cam brought into it. But even like at a park, we were playing around with still moving from different space, from space to yep. space to space, yep. um, was an idea that we were interested in and playing with. Uh, um, but I think what the parks would have had that Cam didn't, which I think is just as good, not necessarily better or worse. Um, but I think w I was playing around with the ideas of having Thebes and Athens be the two cut like two separate locations so as opposed to going to three different locations we'd be in thebes and then go to colonus and then kind of come back to thebes mm -hmm. so you get to see kind of what the new thebes looks like when creon's in charge um so moving between two spaces as opposed to three spaces going deeper and deeper and deeper through mm -hmm. the exam what does the what does the descent um help to inform for the audience do you think is there a is there an idea there beyond just the sort of general idea of of um digging deeper maybe i mean i think it's 
digging deeper, like you talk about, but also just um, all of these characters trying, obviously trying to trying to do good, trying to do what they think is best, trying to wrong or trying to correct the mistakes that other people have made, trying to correct their own mistakes, um, but constantly just becomes a bigger and bigger, for lack of a better word, mess. <laughs> you know, um, there's the big, one of my favorite scenes that we wrote or that Ian and I kind of worked on together in Colonus um, is when Creon shows up and tries to bring Oedipus back to Thebes. Um, and of course, obviously he wants Oedipus to come for, what we think is purely selfish reasons, but he also brought up a pretty valid argument that was, sure, you solved the riddle, sure, you figured out how to end this plague, but you also left us high and dry. You were our king, you were our ruler, and you blinded yourself and you left, and you left us kind of, you solved the riddle, and then you left, and we've had to clean up that mess, which is something that I think, when you look at just Oedipus by itself, you don't really think about what happens after. Yeah. Um, and and surely for us as an audience, because we're following Oedipus, we don't really think about what happens to Thebes after he leaves. We think it's a happy ending because he solved what he was supposed to do. Um, so it's like things like that of Creon coming back and saying, actually, it's been a really difficult couple of years since you left. You solved the riddle, but there's also all these other things. Um, similarly to going with, you know, the big war that's going into Antigone. Um, you know, they're trying to restore order, but by trying to restore order, it just gets even more complicated and more complicated and each each wrong that they're trying to right ends up like further complicating what the the problems that they have to solve. There's a line too that Ian wrote, I forget who said it, because um, it's been a couple of years. I think it might've been Creon again, where he says, remember when all that we had to worry about was just a plague? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, like the conflict in Oedipus is pretty simple and straightforward. There's a plague. There's we have to figure resonant, out. Uh, there's a resonant line right now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like there's, we had to figure out how to solve this and then we can move on. And yeah. since then there's been, as people try to solve that and solve other things, I think yeah. it's Creon and Colonus who said, remember when all we had to worry about was just a plague? <laughs> this becomes so much bigger and more complex since then. That's really fascinating. That's a really interesting idea. And uh, when you think that that, that many um, centuries ago, you know, um, that a writer was thinking about that, it's, it's probably um, something that dramatists today uh, ought to maybe think a little bit more about because uh, they often create uh, scenarios where things happen and, and they, you know, the sort of ideas we're focusing on the protagonist and what happens there, but, but there's a whole world of people around them that are being influenced by their decisions, yeah. heroic or otherwise. Uh, yeah. Um, and that's the big reason too why as Ian and I were looking at all three of these plays, kind of going back to what I touched on a little bit, that we were really interested in looking at them, all three plays in one day, as opposed to in rep. But the more we looked at kind of all three plays together, um, the more that we saw that through line of what's happening. That, you know, you can look at Colonus on its own, but looking at Colonus next to Oedipus Rex, you see those through lines. You see how characters in Colonus are responding to what happened in Oedipus mm -hmm. and are preparing for what happens in Antigone. You know, Antigone and Polynices are talking about the war that's going to happen and this big battle, which is the entire, inci not inciting incident because it happens before, but it's the entire kind of like groundwork for what happens in Antigone. 
is this battle that Polynices is talking about in Oedipus at Colonus. And so you can see Antigone in Colonus laying the groundwork for how she's going to respond in Antigone, yeah. that it really is kind of this three-act play and this three-act structure. It ver- felt very really like one, yeah, to me. Um, uh, Alex, um, why, uh, this is a very broad question, but um, why do these stories last, do you think? You know, uh, you know what is it? Is it 3,500 years, I guess, or something like that, that uh, Sophocles? A lot. Yeah. Many, many, many years. <laughs> Even I was around. Uh, um, I'm wondering, you know, uh, you know, one possibility is, and this is a very sort of negative possibility, but the, the, the stories last because we need to believe that something we can create has meaning beyond our lives. Is that, is it possible that that's all it has to offer or, or do these plays really have stories um, have meaning uh, in their stories that that are useful to people in the 21st century? I mean, the optimist in me thinks that there is meaning in these stories, obviously. Um, I mean, I think about these plays in particular, besides all the stuff I talked about in terms of like doing what's right, even though it's hard and, you know, fighting against unjust leaders and all of that. I think what's captivating about these stories as well is that they're both, they're kind of two plays at once. Yeah. They're political plays, and they're also family plays. Um, so depending on your point of view and kind of your um, production, you can lean into either of those super strongly. Um, it's the same with Hamlet, in my opinion. Like why Hamlet is, besides just being a great play, it's both a, polit- it's a play about politics, and it's also a play about family, um, which are two things like death and taxes, which we will always have and which will always be relevant. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, so we're going to be live streaming uh, the Greeks. It's not, of course, really live, uh, but it's going to be streamed um, uh, on the... Um, on a slight tape delay. Yeah, a three-year delay. <laughs> a three-year tape delay. <laughs> yeah. Well, s- some of the cast members, uh, you never know what they're going to say at any given moment, so you need that little delay there to... <laughs> Plenty of time to sort through and edit out. <laughs> start to start. To, it'll be streamed on the first uh, on May first at seven p.m., and then it will be available for a week after that on our website at burningcold.org. You can go to the website for the stream, or you can go to the website uh, immediately following that for the um, link to the. Uh, uh, clip or film film of it, I guess. Um, and um, is there anything else you wanted to say about the the, the work that was done uh, that summer at CAM or or about the cast or any of that stuff? Um, designers. I mean, just that it was such an exciting collaboration, both like between me and Ian, between Burning Coal and CAM. It really was like um, an incredible experience, and just like to shout out the cast as well like who all were incredible. Like we showed up, Ian and I showed up with this kind of like three hour adaptation of these Greek plays that even at the first rehearsal, we, I remember like we didn't have scripts printed yet because we were still finalizing and used that 24 hours after the first rehearsal to keep finishing it and like putting it together. And after hearing it out loud, um, still like tweaking and refining kind of the larger structure and the larger arc of it. Um, and they were so game, you know, we we're throwing so much at them in terms of process, so much at them in terms of, okay, so then you have to exit through the office doors 
and then go outside around the around the corner of the building through the main doors again. Make sure you sneak down these side stairs so that you can re-enter through no, this don't, door. Don't let the door slam. Yeah, everything about that process was so kind of was so non-traditional, but exciting for me as a theater maker. Um, yeah. And I I think they were excited by it too. Or if they were horrified, they at least kept that to themselves. No, I, I, I think people thought of it as one of their uh, seminal experiences. Uh, have you had a chance to, to make theater in a non-traditional space uh, since then, Alex? A couple times. I mean, obviously now in this, uh, in this kind of quarantine period of our lives, the non-traditional space that everyone's gathering towards is the internet and what that means. Um, You know, plays happening over Zoom, plays happening over Google Hangouts, plays happening over FaceTime, um, kind of, so now the big question kind of in my head and everyone else's head too, or a lot of people's heads is the ultimate non-traditional space, which is 300 spaces at once all virtually connecting through something else. Like how, how are we able to, how are we able to capture what makes theater unique and what makes theater special and what makes for theater makers like me who are so drawn to theater over other mediums? How can we continue, how can we continue to make work um, in kind of the medium of theater? And what, because what makes theater unique is that it's in one, in one space at one time. When we take away that element of everyone being in the same room for this thing that's happening right here, right now. Once you take that away, how can we continue to make theater? How can we, once you take that one element away, what is left and how can we continue to latch onto that through, through a computer or through um, a phone? Yeah. Yeah, Or through, or just through a shared experience that um, is able to happen, but not through something. And then I don't know, like what is the connective tissue that we can latch onto? Mm -hmm. Um, the National yeah. uh, did a play a few years ago where their audience uh, went to the roof of the building and had um, something like binoculars or telescopes and headsets, and they were watching a play happen in a building, you know, 20 blocks away uh, oh, wow. through the windows of the building, right? It was record, you know, it was live, but but they were hearing it over the headsets, and and I'm now thinking, well, yeah. That's uh, that's a shared experience, um, yeah. And, and it is live, you know, which is I think a critical thing. The the thing that what we're we're on Zoom right now, although it will be a podcast, so it will be an audio recording. But what the Zoom doesn't offer is is uh, the egalitarian idea that the audience gets to choose where they look. Uh, right, yeah. the camera is always telling you where to look. You, you know, you're kind of passive, but if you can choose where to look and who to listen to and that sort of thing, then, then you you become more a participant in the thing. And so that's the, the worry that I have. Uh, um, well, Alex, this is great. Uh, we appreciate your doing this, and and certainly the Greeks uh, remains one of my favorite projects that we've ever done, especially uh, on the second stage series. But really, of, of any of the things we've done, it continues to haunt me, and it continues to n- nag at me to bring it back <laughs> again at some point. So uh, we may do that in the future. But um, but thank you for participating, and uh, and we uh, look forward to more work with you in the in the very short term. Yeah, thank you so much and thank you for having me and for continuing to push on and do the work that you're doing despite despite everything. (laughs) Thank you.
you for listening. Join us tonight at 7 p.m. for the premiere streaming of The Greeks, adapted from the works of Sophocles by Ian Finley and Alex Toby. Available at burningcoal.org. The Greeks will be available on our website through May 7th, so come experience why these ancient classics have truly stood the test of time. 